Well, hi, and welcome to the When I Heard This podcast. My name is Nate Robinsoff, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. How are you, Joseph? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. That's not what I have written for you here. It's just not, but I decided to... You were supposed to say, I'm good, Jesus is my main man, and Trump is number two. Well, one of those is not true, so... I just wow. went with what I went with, okay. and I'll let people decide which one is <laughs> true and which one's not. It's kind of like a truth and a lie, right? which one's which. Well, I know what you said, so <laughs> <laughs> nobody else does. This is, our, um, this is our first podcast together, and today we are going to let you know who we are and why we wanted to do a podcast, why this exists at all, and... Um, and then a little bit about Christianity today, meaning a little bit about where Christianity is today in time. In the United States of America. In the United States of America. We but go. we could go abroad if you wanted to. We could, but let's try to keep it local. How about that? Or okay. at least Not within too our local country. because, you know, it's right. a podcast. Exactly. Okay. Um, so anyway, Joseph, starting with who are you? Who are you? Hey, man. Uh so I'm a pastor actually here in Noonan, Georgia, of all places. We're a little south metro Atlanta area town. And so I've been here for about 20 years. Um, but I'm originally from South Georgia and actually did not grow up going to church. And so though I'm a pastor now, and that's been my vocation for the last 22 years. That's actually not my upbringing, not my heritage, if you were. And so I grew up going to South Georgia, great family, um, one brother, and love my parents. But we didn't go to church every Sunday. That's not kind of what we were doing. It's not who we were. And the first time I actually heard the gospel, I think I was 16 years old, and we were leaving a party. We used to party out in the fields and in, in, in around the Valdosta area. And so we're, we're leaving a party. I was a designated driver that night. So I'm 16 years old. We're driving down the road. And this, and this friend of mine sitting in the passenger seat looks over at me and says, Hey, Joe, do you believe in God? And I thought, what in the world are you asking me this question for? And I was like, yeah, I, I guess so, man. I, I, I believe in God. And he's like, no, but like, do you believe in Jesus? And I was like, I don't know about all that stuff, man. And then he immediately was like, I know I'm not the best person right now to tell you about Jesus, but let me tell you about Jesus. And so then he goes on to tell me about Jesus. And he actually preached the gospel to me, fully drunk, just completely wasted, and my Ford Bronco was relieving this party, and a couple other guys were in the back, I think, wondering what in the world was going on. And so that was the first time I heard the gospel ever. And this is what amazes me about the Lord and his timing. He allowed that conversation to happen, and it was June of 96. And two months later, I've been invited to go on this retreat. And all I, I knew a few things. I knew it was. I knew that we were going to be out in the woods. We were going to be missing a day of school. We we're going to be eating a lot of food. That's all I knew. And so we go out to this retreat, and just a bunch of you know teenage guys going out on this retreat, and we're out there. And the first night, we had this worship service in this little small chapel. Lights are dimmed, and they created this kind of atmosphere and. 
And so they're worshiping and people are raising my friends. Like I'm looking over, at least my peers are raising their hands. And, and bro, I thought I was in a cult. Uh, I straight up just thought I was in a cult. And so it's, so they're talking about that. And the next day they're talking about Holy Ghost. And I didn't know what in the world was going on. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was happening in terms of like, I didn't understand their language and what they were talking about. And then that night, actually, one of the guys who had invited me to go on the retreat gave his testimony. And the Lord just absolutely gripped my heart with it. And it sounded so much like my story. The only difference was he had come into a relationship with Jesus and it had transformed his life. And so I go up front and and this this guy, I thought he was so old. Like I'm, I'm six, you know, I was 16 at the time, and I'm 43 now. So I was probably only a few years younger than this guy at the time. But so this guy comes up to me, and he's a lawyer in Valdosta, and he says, "Hey, uh, Joseph, are you a Christian? Have you ever been saved?" I had, I didn't even know what being saved meant. I never even heard the phrase before, and I was like. I don't think so. And he's like, well, would you like to be? And I said, I guess. And he led me through this prayer of asking for forgiveness and repentance and those kind of things. So I did that. And then he stayed up with me until like two o'clock in the morning explaining what happened, who Jesus was, what it looked like to follow Christ. And for the next year, this guy discipled me and a few other guys, um, just met with us every single week um, and just discipled us. And by discipling, I mean, he just met with us. We'd go over to his house and on Saturday mornings and his wife would cook breakfast for us. And we would just hang out and we'd study the word together on Thursday nights. A bigger group of us would show up and we'd worship together and he would teach the Bible. And I just began being discipled by him. And, and then... As I'm growing in my relationship with with the Lord, I know that I've got to make a decision about where to go to college and where to go to school. And and so I had applied to two places, the University of Georgia and University of uh, or Valdosta State University. And that was the only two places I applied to. And I got accepted into both. And I'm trying to make a decision on it. And I end up going to the University of Georgia. And and so I go to UGA and but I was scared to death. And to be honest with you, I wanted to stay at Valdosta State. That's what I wanted to stay because I was scared to go to UGA. A lot of my friends from school were going there. I didn't know any other believers really there. And I was terrified to go and was terrified of what it if would I walk away from Jesus, would I walk away from my faith out up there. And so I go up there because I just know the Lord's telling me to do it. I know it's the right thing. I go up there, I get connected to a campus ministry, and man, my faith just begins to grow like crazy. And I actually was a part of the largest campus ministry in the country. Um, and uh, it's a pretty cool experience when you're in an environment of 700, about, about 750 other students that were just following the Lord and just passionately pursuing Jesus. So what was, like, you said you were afraid that you were going to lose your faith. Like, why... Yeah. What did you think was going to happen, or yeah. or what? And and like, what were you afraid of losing? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, have you been to Athens, Georgia? <laughs> yes, I've been to Athens, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> so, Athens, Georgia. For those who don't know, it's a, I mean, it's it's a university town, right? 
I was afraid I was going to get caught up in that in that party scene again. Okay. And with and my biggest concern was I didn't know anyone else up there really who were believers. And so, like for real, for like the first two weeks I was up there, I didn't like hardly go out. <laughs> like I had, I was rooming with three other guys, all of them from Valdosta I grew up with, and you know, two of them had joined a fraternity, going out all the time. And I, I didn't hardly like go out at all until I got until I started meeting some individuals from this campus ministry and getting connected with them because I just didn't know like who to even go hang out with. Um, and so that was. Kind of what I was scared, and what I was really scared of losing was was my was my faith, was my I guess you put it relationship with Jesus. I was afraid that if I got caught caught up back in that scene, that I was no longer going to follow Jesus. I guess I'm asking, like, what what a what about your relationship with Jesus felt so different from before that you were afraid of losing? Before before you had a relationship with Jesus. Ah, I gotcha. You know, when people ask me the biggest difference, I always say that this was, this was the biggest difference for me. When I didn't know Jesus and I would, let's say, I mean, I think all of us at times like pray, cry out to God, do something. We're trying to talk to higher power or whatever. Right. And I always felt like if in talking to God, or maybe you're at church and you're kind of just reciting some prayers or whatever they have you do. It was like talking to a wall. It was like it wasn't going anywhere. Mm. And then after I got saved, it was like I felt like when I talked that it, someone was actually hearing me. Okay. And I felt like, and this may sound kind of strange too, and I actually felt I could hear him respond. And it was, it was to me, that's the biggest difference. Okay. Yeah. And so I was afraid that of going back to that place of where God was so distant that it was like talking to a brick wall instead of mm-hmm. talking to someone that I knew was right there hearing me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. How'd you, how'd you, after never growing up in church yeah, or not growing up in church, right. how'd you know to do that? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I guess I'd been at least enough, you know. Okay. Well, in uh, South Georgia. Yeah, enough, you know, on Christmas and Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had this one year we went to church pretty regularly. It was my it was my confirmation year. And so in the church I was attending, they had this confirmation year for sixth graders. Mm-hmm. So I was in sixth grade. We we went almost every Sunday during that one year. Okay. Um to be confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess, you know, you kind of are, you're around it enough. Um, and, and then I, my granddad actually um, was actually a strong believer. Okay. Um, and so every family gathering, and it was just small things like, but every family gathering that we would have right before we had the meal, he would always pray for the family and not just bless the food, but it was like, you know, it's like he was talking to God on behalf of the family, mm-hmm. and um, and and so that always stuck out to me because we did a lot of family gatherings mm-hmm. as, and so like I always remember my granddad the way he prayed, the way he talked to God, even just blessing the meal mm-hmm. was just different than what I had heard. And and after I got saved and I started praying, it was I guess someone was like almost emulating that or almost like oh that's why he was doing that. 
That's why he was talking to God this way. Because he, he obviously my granddad had a relationship. And actually, because I was the first Christian in my immediate family, my granddad and my granny actually were two really pivotal people in my life um, that really encouraged me in my faith. Uh, when I first came to know Christ. So I uh, became involved in this campus ministry at Wesley and was serving there. And there at was UGA. This, yeah, at UGA. Okay. Yeah. And and discipleship was this was this huge focus. And it it started forming a lot of my thoughts and perspectives on what it looked like to follow Jesus as a disciple. And I mean, that's some stuff we'll kind of get into later on, but it really started forming me. Um, and then I ended up graduating from UGA. Um, I worked with a Brazilian evangelist, and that was awesome. Um, and uh, he was from Brazil, and so we traveled all over the U.S. We traveled over, you know, around Brazil, and so I uh, I worked with him. Uh, a lot of times, I was, you know just carrying his briefcase around. Other times I was actually leading worship and those kind of things, preaching some, but just worked with him for a year and spent a summer down in Brazil. And I'd actually spent a summer two years earlier down in Brazil as well, mm. just serving down there, working in the favelas, which are um, hills that are uh, just unfortunately just full of poverty and need. And so it opened up my eyes to seeing something, uh, 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 just a just poverty, I guess, in, in just a way I'd never seen it, brokenness in a way I've never seen it. And but worked with this Brazilian evangelist, and then ended up moving to where I'm at, living now, working here as a youth pastor, and met the uh, met a, the woman who would end up becoming my wife and so that was pretty cool and so my wife and I've been married for over 18 years now and so but I met her when I came moved here as a youth pastor and graduated from Candler School of Theology up at Emory University I got a masters of divinity from there and we ended up starting a new church actually in 2005 and so I was a lead pastor of it and then we merged that church with another church where I served for another decade and I was the associate pastor of our missions and outreach and a gap year discipleship program for young people graduating high school. And then I just recently actually said yes to coming and serving as the senior pastor of a of a small church here in the community. And so I'm transitioning churches and in the midst of all this kind of craziness of transitioning from one church to the other, um, I've got three kids and I'm working on a doctorate degree from Asbury Theological Seminary. And so I uh, hope that gives you a little taste of who I am. So, Nate, who are you? Um, well, I did grow up going to church. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, um, I grew up in Florida. I was actually, my parents were missionaries or trying to be missionaries when I was born. Hmm. So I spent the first, I think it was 10 months of my life in Venezuela before it went to hell. <laughs> And um, back in the 90s, early 90s, and uh, don't remember any of it. And then that didn't work out. Um, God's plan. And 
we came back to the United States. We went to church my whole life. I went to I went to Christian school from it was church school when I was in preschool and then left in eighth grade. So that was a big part of my life and a lot of strange things happened because of that. Okay. It, it was the nineties and it, we went to non-denominational churches. So okay. everyone was insane and all the revival and all the, <laughs> so what do you mean by it was the nineties and everybody was insane? I just, I never remember as crazy church meetings as the ones I went to in the nineties. Like what made them crazy though? I was never asked to be, I was never uh, <laughs> since the nineties, I haven't been pushed over by a pastor and three grown men behind <laughs> me, catch me and put a microphone in my face and tell me to say words that aren't words. Right. Right. So all, all, all that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, when I got to high school, I felt like I had heard all the stories, had, I guess, hurt from growing up and church life mixed with home life, mixed with, sorry, mom, this is a podcast. Um, uh, I stopped going to church, basically, gotcha. and uh, then went to college Um tried to attend churches there I basically felt like there was nothing I felt like I had heard all the stories I felt like I had been through all the motions I felt like I had gone all the way far in the Christian insanity that you could go through and I wanted to I, I essentially made the decision that I was gonna do things on my own and that I, I, I knew the whole time that I still had, like, the foundation with me, mm. even though I wasn't doing anything. So I knew what to do, what not to do, and I was slowly pushing the limit to see is – kind of like a, is God going to smite me if I go this far? Hmm. Is God going to smite me if I go this far? And let's see how far we can, we can push this hmm. up to the point where my brain was going, well, we're not going to do that because logically that doesn't make any sense. Like I'm not putting anybody else's needle in my arm or anything like that. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be an idiot, but <laughs> Let's see if I can – the whole point was let's see if I can do this on my own. I know what to do, what not, what not to do in my brain, stuff like that. Right. And l let's, let's see how it goes. And over years being at school and then getting out of school, something completely different happened that I obviously hadn't thought of, which was I was just kind of miserable and depressed and – couldn't rely on myself to make myself happy. That that sort of led me back to church. At that point, I was determined to drink myself to death in my apartment. <laughs> not not necessarily determined, but and not like trying to kill myself. But I was just like, 
I am going to sit here and drink until I die. Mm. And that was... That was like my life's goal because I was like, I don't like people. I don't want to see people, but I did like people and I really wanted to see people. And so I sat there and drank and mm. and was going to be done. And then realizing that that was going to be the rest of everything and that that was actually my goal, got there, didn't like it and got really depressed and... Mm. And felt like I had strived for something that wasn't going to be fulfilling. Mm. And so then I came to church and met you. Yep. And a um, whole lot of stuff happened with that <laughs> that we have been through. <laughs> so, yeah. So in the context of, like, church, church, like mm-hmm. I was done with God, but, like, church, The churches that we went to, every single church that I have ever gone to, pastors split apart, one church formed, half of the church went to one church, Mm. became one church, and half of the church became another church. My parents always, it's like they knew, took us to the one that failed before the other one. (laughs) And... (laughs) And so I pr- I think I went to I mean we were like members members right of it's it's like seven hmm. different churches before I before I said screw it in high school wow and so really didn't have any faith in the institution going into it as well yeah sure and so yeah for all the reasons Right. So no names, no crimes. Um, so what's interesting is you were part of all these churches that were splitting, right? Mm-hmm. And yet I was a pastor of a church that intentionally merged with another church. Right. Not out of need, but because we felt like it was just the right thing. Right. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah. That's never happened to me. Yeah. Well, I've never heard of anyone else doing it either. So, <laughs> um, so since coming back to church, it was like a really bizarre two and a half, three years after. Fe- felt like I had to do everything and be perfect because that's what I was used to growing up. Mm. Everybody had to be perfect. Otherwise, you're not good for this place. And so that was a struggle. And I am now here. I am now married also. Yeah, come on, man. And uh, I still drink, but not like I used to. And I have, I feel like I'm in a place where I am, I felt like, there was perfect on one end and then all the way bad at the other end. And I was in both places. Mm. My brain was in both places. I was trying to do this, but always came down to the other direction, you know, trying to be perfect, but always came down to when I failed, I was all the way at the other end. Gotcha. And so I feel like I'm at a place where I am okay being somewhere in between yeah which is i guess what 
we can never be perfect. Right. <laughs> so, right. Right. So we're always somewhere in between. Absolutely. And I've had to like center myself and be, <laughs> this is just you. Like, right. don't beat yourself up because you fail at things. And I'm just like, this is, I'm at peace with myself actually. And wow. so now we're here doing a podcast. We are. So you're at peace with yourself and I guess peace at peace with God too. I'm at peace with God, which is crazy. That's awesome. man. Because it's just a lot. It took years to get over the hump <laughs> and, yeah. and just be like, I'm just here. And right. so right now I, I have not gone to church in, well, I've gone a couple of times. But not not as a member for a year and a half of really anywhere. Yeah. And and for some reason that hasn't it hasn't bothered me. Hmm. But and I think about it sometimes and and I don't know I don't know what's going on. Right. <laughs> like like it, because my brain still goes, Well, I'm not being perfect and going to church. Yeah. But you're not all the way terrible as a person either. Right. And so we're always somewhere in the middle, and that's where I feel. And we're doing this. And yeah, we are. This is what I this is this is great. Yeah, and and what I love about it is being able to be part of the journey. Right. Right with you for the last several years. And the conversations we're having now that's being going to be heard on, these, on this podcast are just conversations that we've been having for years now, right? Right. And so, so I guess that rolls us in. So, why are we doing this, Joseph? <laughs> why are we doing this, Nate? Because <laughs> because we've lost our minds. Um, probably. Probably so. Because um, we are too. People that like hearing our own voices recorded back to us. I, I, I think so. That's we just want to hear ourselves talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for me, and I, it's interesting because, you know, here I'm sitting across the table. You know, and, and I love the fact that Nate's able to say, "You're able, you're able to say, hey, I've not been in church for a year and a half, right?" And you're saying that with a peace inside of yourself and and with the Lord. And I'm sitting here as a pastor, mm-hmm. and um, and I love the fact that we can have this conversation and not feel awkward, weird about the topics right. or the things that are going to be said. And so, because it could be awkward, weird for both of us the other direction. Yeah, absolutely, it could. In and yeah, yeah, and and so, but it's hard for me to even think about because we're so like we are okay with what is happening right now, right. <laughs> What is happening yeah, right what now? Is happening, right? And so, yeah. So when I think about the podcast, you know, so I've been serving in full time vocational ministry for the last twenty. I think I'm in twenty two years now. And um, so for for me, working full time on staff at a ministry or at a church, I have found myself engaging and talking with just more and more people, both inside the church and outside the church, to be honest, who are, I feel like they fall into a few different categories and it's like they're seeking or they're skeptical, seeking God or they're skeptical 
um, maybe of God and his very existence, uh, or maybe just of the church. And, and then I do think there's a good bit of people who are just disillusioned with church. And maybe not even God, but just the, you mentioned it earlier, just the kind of the institutional church. Mm-hmm. And so when I've been a part of these conversations with individuals that whether they're seeking, they're, they're skeptical, they're, they're disillusioned, or, or maybe they fall into our category. But when I've been t- just talking with individuals, what I've found is a, a common thread mm-hmm. that they have not felt comfortable saying what they're skeptical about or disillusioned about with a leader from the ch- from a church. Mm-hmm. In other words, like right, it's it's one thing to say it to your friends. It's right. one thing to say it on a podcast. Right. It's one thing to say it online or, you know, right. you're interacting with people on social media and this is just mm-hmm. you're kind of venting or you're saying what you're going to say. But I I found that so many of them so many people just don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Talking to someone who's in leadership in a ministry or a church and just saying, hey, here's what I think. Here's what I feel. What do you have to say in response? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a large reason of why I want to do this podcast. I would also say I think there's a large amount of of people who the the disillusioned who don't think anyone – in leadership would talk to them anyway. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah. And I think some of that's because of the way that leadership has portrayed themselves from behind the pulpit or from on stage or on a platform. Mm-hmm. And then I think some of that is individuals who've grown up in church know, let's say, the, the, the pastors there mm-hmm. and are afraid they'll disappoint the pastor somehow. Mm-hmm. You know? And so whether they think the pastor is approachable or not, um, sometimes they're just so close to that pastor that they feel like they'll disappoint them. That's hap- I, I can say that because I've experienced that mm-hmm. and have individuals where I can see them struggling. And when I reach out to them, it's almost like they breathe a breath of fresh air they, like they just, or, they, or they exhale. Mm-hmm. They've been holding all this stuff in, but they've been afraid to come talk to me about it. Because they were afraid I was going to be disappointed because they were doubting Scripture or doubting God or doubting themselves or Jesus or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I and to be honest with you, it breaks my heart because you're trying to develop relationships with people so they can express those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But I think we as a leadership, to be honest, have just not done a good enough job of saying it from the pulpit, saying it from the stage, the platform – it's okay to have questions. It is interesting for you as a pastor that is still a pastor to yeah. be saying this about leadership. Why do you think that's why? Why is that interesting? Because you don't hear pastors being able to do that. Uh, yeah. Because if all the pastors won't let you come talk to them, then you're never going to hear. Hey, I wish other pastors would listen to pastors. <laughs> sure. And and or listen to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And so it's just interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, yeah, I just and I think we have to be okay with the fact that we have people who doubt and that we have people who have questions because 
I think as leadership, if we're being fully honest, we have doubts and we have questions Mm -hmm. in different seasons of our life. And I don't think we share those things enough because I think we we feel like if we're that vulnerable, who's going to actually listen to us? Mm. And And I think we're missing the point. I think more people would probably listen to us if we were that vulnerable. If we were that vulnerable to say, you know what, there's times I'm scared to death of what will happen when I actually die. Instead of this, oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven and that's, you know, well, how many of us have had those moments, those thoughts of just, well, you know, you die and it goes to blackness and you don't exist anymore. You know, and that's a real question. That's a real doubt that I think every individual has, especially as you grow older, you start thinking about, you know, your future and life after death and, and, or maybe it's just, I'll give you an example. So when I was a youth pastor and I was in theology school, I was encountering individuals, professors, students at theology school at Emory that absolutely questioned God questioned the Bible, questioned if the Bible is even trustworthy. I had never been around that. In the you know, I had been a Christian at that point going, I think I'd been a Christian for like five years or six, six years. And uh, so for six years, I'd never been around people in a Christian environment who doubted and who were skeptical. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, I mean, I went to the University of Georgia. So of course, I was around classmates who were, but not believers. And now I'm here in this school of around a bunch of other people who are actually being trained to go into ministry or trained to be theologians. And they're actually saying, you know what? I doubt this part of Scripture. I have questions about it. So it made me start thinking. And, it, and at one point, I sat down with my senior pastor. Again, I was a youth pastor uh, in town. And I go to my senior pastor. We're having lunch together. At the same time you were in theology at, school? Yes, yeah, sorry, okay. yeah. Same time in theology school. So I'm working as a youth pastor. I think I'm in my first year of theology school, probably six months or so into it, second semester. And I go to my senior pastor and I said, I don't know if I believe the Bible is actually inspired anymore. I don't know if I believe the Bible is actually without error anymore, which was a big thing in the circle I ran in, Bible's inspired, Bible's without error. There's no contradictions. And I went to him and said, I don't know if I believe that. And if I don't believe that, then I don't know if I can believe any of the Bible. And if I don't believe any of the Bible, then I don't know if I can believe the God that's portrayed within the Bible. Mm. You know, like you follow it out logically. Right. And... And my, and my senior pastor just looks at me and goes, you'll be okay. And I was like, what? And, I mean, I'm in charge of the youth group. His own daughter is in the youth group. And I'm sitting here saying, I don't think, I don't know if I believe the Bible's true. I don't know if you want me. I even said, I'm not sure you want me teaching at youth group anymore. And he just, he listened to me. He heard everything I had to say. And then he just said, you're going to be okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you heard what I said. And, and he was like, no, you're going to be okay. And I, I think the beauty of that was it didn't scare him. My questions, my doubts didn't scare him. Mm-hmm. 
And it was coming from an employee. It was coming from a, right. a you, someone who was actually teaching his daughter. And it didn't scare him. And I think sometimes as pastors in church leadership, we get scared of people who have doubts or questions. They scare us for some reason. I don't know sure exactly why, but it, they scare us. Because you have the same doubts yourself. Yeah. And, and I think I think a lot of that's true. You know, we have some doubts. We have some questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you and I have talked. I mean, there's passages of Scripture I still wrestle with. and well, We're going to be talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> and I'm still wrestling with them. And and that's I think that's the okay part. Mm-hmm. You know, to, it's okay to have these questions. It's okay to have doubts. And as long as we're willing to engage in a conversation, you know. And so I guess, you know, I want to give a listening ear to individuals and to people who have these questions and have these doubts or who are skeptical or who are just have had such a bad experience in church. They've become just disillusioned with church and hear them and, and, and many times validate their experience and their feelings mm-hmm. and their emotions and their thoughts and say, but let's continue the conversation. Like, don't let the conversation end there in your doubts or your questions, but let's continue the conversation. I feel like people think, be- because I doubt this, it must not be true. Right. And so being being open to hearing questions is it, very good for some people. Yeah, and I, and I think if we just read the Psalms... Right? I mean, the Psalms are full of questions. Mm-hmm. The Psalms are full of the, these writers doubting. Where is, you know, they're asking, where, God, where are you? Why aren't you intervening? Yeah, but that's like a thousand pages in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's going to actually read that far? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, how about, how about Jesus even saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus felt that way. Maybe we should be able to feel that way at times too. Yeah, but he knew because he was God. He right. was just putting on a show for the book. <laughs> well, I know that's not true, Nate. <laughs> and so I guess there's a kind of things we can talk about too, right? Right. And, and and flesh it out a little more full. But I just point being is scripture itself. Like read the book of Job. It's full. That's my favorite book. It's actually one of my favorite books it's as well. It's actually my favorite book. Because it's all philosophy the yeah. whole time. Yeah, it's just people arguing one point back and forth for chapters and chapters and chapters. Right, and and people convinced they're yeah. right. Right, you know, and and I I love it because it's the honesty, the rawness of God. What is going on? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't know the story of Job, Job loses everything he has. Right, he loses his family, he loses his health, he uses loses his kids, his property, everything. It's a country song. It could be a really well played country <laughs> song. It'd be really long, but yes, right. and and so, but Job loses all these things, and he's and he's questioning. God, but isn't that the beauty of it? Like when you're questioning God, at least you're questioning Him, and you're not just walking away from Him. Right. I'd rather people be invited into the questioning. I guess you know, and that's what I kind of mean by continuing the conversation. Don't just ask the question, stay in doubt and disillusionment, and then walk away. Let's engage, engage with conversation. So, um, yeah. So I guess, and I want to be like a you know, 
not that I can speak for all pastors. I can't can't do that. Mm-hmm. But I want there to be someone they someone can say I heard this pastor address these things. Right? I heard him be honest about struggles or questions or doubts. I heard him hear hear really hear me in my in my disillusionment or in my skepticism and not not run away or not just give me the token bible answer but actually in a healthy manner wrestle through the topics and issues and i guess that's what i you know that's why i want to do this podcast yeah how about you so i will want to be the person asking the questions okay that's, <laughs> that's why i'm on the podcast um you and I have sat down for hours and gone through hundreds of questions that I have had in the past and answered all of them to the best of your ability sometimes, or to the best of God's ability. Pardon me. <laughs> no, probably the best of my ability. Yeah, okay. I probably fall short a good bit. <laughs> so one, I, I don't know why we t- talked about doing this or what. I can't remember who who brought it up. I th- I think I'm not. I think you did. You, I think I might have brought it up. Actually, I really cannot remember. I know that both of us had already been thinking about right. it. Both That's of us all had I know. Been thinking about it, and then and then, uh, and then one I, of us brought it up. Yeah, yeah. It was probably me. Yeah, and and but I but I'd already been thinking about it. I already I'd already made some notes and stuff, mm. you know, and because um, I just knew that something like this needed to exist, right. So after years of getting answers that I had never gotten from anybody else hmm. past the, you know, look it up in the Bible or go read the syllabus. Yeah. Like after getting go read the syllabus answers my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the syllabus. Okay. Well, you could just tell me. Right. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> could have said yes or no instead of. How many of you go look in this uh, five words? Right. So, but yeah, so I kind of want to be that. And I think part of that is my whole life, basically when I went to college and stopped going to church, I was like, well, let me go find out what everybody else thinks. Hmm. Because I had been in Christian school and in church constantly around only Christians my entire life yeah, and didn't know anything about anybody else. And so, except this one group of people, which ends up being a kind of a large group of people, but the crazy ones though. So, (laughs) so I went out there to find people that were, had a different perspective from a different, basically grew up different and thought about, the things that I did, but from, from what was their, what's the background of why they believe what they believe. I have this Christian background. Why do they have this background? Yeah. So on this podcast, I kind of want to just, I want to know the truth. Like I've heard all the things from all the pastors growing up. I've heard all the, you know, listen to all the stories, read the Bible actually through several times. I know I get different perspective on things every time I read it, but, but I guess I'm like, 
exhausted with it. Yeah. And I want to hear actual answers to real questions that I have and I hope other people might have also. Sure. So that's why I want to do this podcast. No, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, and you know for for me, I know that, you know, I, I wanna I just want to discuss issues mm-hmm. that maybe are not discussed at least fully from a pulpit setting. Right. Right. Because in a pulpit setting, in a in a from a preacher setting, it's just one person talking, it's a monologue. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's no opportunities to be interrupted and asked the question that may trigger the mind. To be or not to be. <laughs> that is indeed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to be able to actually, because I think one of the things that you do so well with is you have taken the time to listen, to hear, and explore for yourself. And so you know you what are the questions being asked? Right. You know what are the complaints that are being leveled against the church or Christianity, whether when we say the church, whether we talk about the people of the church or the institution of the church. Mm. And so I'm looking forward to actually hearing those, not just the questions, but the thoughts too. Mm. Right. And and engaging with those, because I'm not sitting here saying I know all the answers to everything either. And I don't know why people do everything they've done. I don't know why uh, certain things in the Bible happen the way they do. But I'm willing to explore it, wrestle it out, think through it, mm. and have an honest conversation about it. And that, like we said earlier, that wasn't going to be full of just a bunch of church speak, but being real about it. And to be honest about the... Even the cultural, you know, or the church landscape, you know, mm-hmm. like to critique it, to criticize it when necessary, and actually praise it when praises do. And so I hope that at the end of this, we can say we've had some really honest discussion about the relationship between church and culture and philosophy and politics and history and it all kind of being intertwined together and that individuals will feel like no that's a I have been wanting to ask that question and have it fleshed out in a fuller sense mm-hmm. and I hope that's what people get you know when they listen to this podcast and not from a I art holier than thou perspective. <laughs> Right, so I'm right. definitely not that. Okay, me either. Well, that's well established. <laughs> <laughs> Probably by this point. <laughs> if not, it will be soon. If it, yes. <laughs> right now. Christianity, where it is right now in America, where yeah. is it? It's not a good place, Nate. Why? Um, boy, if <laughs> that's, that's the question of the day, right? <laughs> and... Yeah, so let's kind of start out. Let's just state it with like where it's at. Okay. Okay. So if we back up even to the fifties, okay, there when when 
someone said God, it was assumed that it was a Judeo-Christian God. Mm-hmm. And I have a question for yeah. already. Okay. When we say Judeo-Christian, uh-huh. what do we mean by that? Oh, yeah. Good question. So... Why are those two things lumped together? Yeah, why are they always connected? One of them believe in Jesus and the other <laughs> one doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> right, right. Because both hold... So, for example, in the Bible, right, you've got an Old Testament mm-hmm. and you have a New Testament. So there's 66 books total, all right? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Okay. Those 39 books in the Old Testament are the same books that the Jews, that that an Orthodox Jew would read, okay? And they're not necessarily ordered in the same way or even necessarily labeled in the same way. Like Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) We've just offended every every Jew in the world. Um, um, But the... The sense is, is that for both Christians and Jews, that we hold the Old Testament as true. Okay. Okay. So Christianity then moves forward with 27 other books that we have in the Bible, and it's recording the history of the development of what becomes known as Christianity in the first century. Okay. And Christianity was never viewed as a new religion, but rather a fulfillment of what was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Okay. So the issue is not it's not really even for the Jews of will there be a Messiah. So the same prophecies they're reading about in their in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. what Christians are saying is those have already been fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah, who walked this earth in the first century A.D., or, yeah, we'll just say A.D., and that that, so the prophecies have already been fulfilled in Jesus. Jews would say, no, they have not been fulfilled in Jesus. And so we're not even arguing about the prophetic words that are found in Old Testament Scripture. It's just about who's fulfilled them. Or in the sense of for the Jews, they've not been yet fulfilled. Okay. Okay. And so for Christianity, we then hold to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that's recorded in the Old Testament— we we hold to that is our God. Okay. So for Christians, it's not like there was one God in the Old Testament and another God in the New Testament, right? One God for Christians, one God for Jews. No, there's just one God, and and so that this this God is. So when I say the the Judeo Christian God, that's what I mean. Is that there is one God that's being recognized as God. Mm-hmm by both Jews and Christians, and it's the God uh, that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the mm-hmm. God that we see written about in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that's creating the heavens and the earth. Okay. 
Same God in the 50s also. Same God in the 50s also, yes. (laughs) And so so even that far back, there's this sense of our country is a country that has a worldview, okay, a perspective of that's actually rooted in Christian values and beliefs, Mm -hmm. okay? And... And that, from if we want to really move from the fifties going forward, begins to really degrade. Okay, and so we can, and over time, we'll get into the ideas of modernism and postmodernism mm. and their influences in our culture. Okay, but without getting into the weeds, mm. along with the growth of modernism as a worldview and a growth of, in particular, postmodernism as a worldview. You see a, a decline in Christianity. And what's happening now is that there's this really steep decline of individuals that actually hold to Orthodox Christianity. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't mean Greek Orthodox, I mean just Orthodoxy. And so, in other words, that there are some fundamental beliefs that all Christians share and hold to. And that these, so that sense of Christianity is in this drastic decline simultaneously with an increase of individuals that actually do not hold to any religion. Okay. And so it's not like we're necessarily even seeing an increase in other religions. It's that there's this draft, there's a spike in individuals that say either I don't believe there's, there is a God or I don't really know what I believe, and I'm not sure it matters. And, and so it's this decline in Christianity and this spike in the, I don't believe in anything, in a sense of quote-unquote religion or a God, or I just don't know what I believe. And as that's happened, there's been a drastic decrease in individuals attending mm. a local church. And so... When we talk about the state of Christianity in America or the state of church in America, it's in a sharp decline by every measurable. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. So who do we blame? <laughs> to be honest with you, if we're, if we're looking to blame someone, we blame the church itself. Why? So for me, my perspective. Okay. Okay. I can only speak from my perspective right. on it, right? My perspective is that I blame the church, not individuals outside the church, because the church stopped doing and stopped being who the church was supposed to be and and stopped doing what the church was supposed to do. So what I mean by that is that the church was always supposed to be a group of people. So when we say church, we root this all the way back into an idea of assembly or the Greek word ecclesia in the sense of that we are a gathering, an assembly of people, okay? And that I don't go to a church building, but rather the church would gather, assemble together in a building. Okay. And the church being the people and not just a building and this church had a so that's who the church that's who the church was supposed to be the nature of the church 
was supposed to be a gathered people who were gathered together by, you know, I hope I'm not using too much church speak when I say this, but gathered together by the Spirit of God and gathered together to worship God. And that is the nature of the church. And not a, not people coming to a building that's labeled the church mm. to do certain things within that building and therefore, quote unquote, have church. And so the nature of the church and the and the and then so who the church is and what the church is supposed to do have have fallen. So who the church is has been replaced by. We're going to go to a building that is called the church and do these certain functions within that church building. And then we're going to leave the church building and go do whatever we want to do for the rest of, the, of our time, mm-hmm. right? Every other day of the week. So if we're going to gathering together on a church, you know, at a church location on a Sunday morning, for mm-hmm. example, then I can just go do whatever I want to do mm-hmm. for those six days. Well, don't forget the second half of Sunday. Right, exactly. Pack a lot of sin into there. <laughs> oh Lord. And so <laughs> and and so the church should have been a gathering of people who were the church going out into the world and saying, This is the great news that we know. And we want to share with you what we have experienced. Not just what we believe. But also what we've experienced. So, so you think, so you think the church, as in the people, stopped doing that yes. around the the fifties, or before then, and that's why the fifties are the mark. Before then, okay, yeah. And so, when we start seeing really drastic decline, okay, is when we start getting into, I mean, it's we've been on a slow decline, mm-hmm. okay? Drastic decline was actually the culmination of, of us hitting, to be honest with you, around the early 2000s. From the early 2000 to 2020 was just a steep decline. Um, and I think that can be found in the postmodern culture. So, th- so... The millennial generation, those born around 1982, okay, and from, let's say, 1982 until late 90s, okay, that generation is really the, 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 the generation that began to experience not just modern culture, but postmodern culture, and that postmodern culture had bled into the church, and what they experienced growing up, what you experienced growing up, was a, to be honest, mm-hmm. a, 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 a shallowness in church. So the church landscape had shifted. Okay. And so because it now became this idea of come to us, we've got your programs, we've got your events, we can basically fill your calendar seven days a week here. Okay. Right? And but it was just come come mm. to us. And don't go anywhere else. And don't go anywhere else. Or go other places, right? But even the coming to us is not making a marked difference in what right. you do when you go somewhere else either. Mm. Right. And so it became this almost consumer-based 
church model. Okay. Of those are the people, the people that are in our pews, the people mm-hmm. that are in the chairs, they're the customer. Mm-hmm. And we want to give them what we think they need or maybe what they think they need. Okay. And so my point being is church models have shifted and changed over time. And it no longer was a let's go out and be the church in the world, right? In, and I'll say the world, what I mean by that is we should have always, the church should have always been a people that when we went into our jobs, when we went into the marketplace, we went into our schools, we should have been a walking, living testimony of who Jesus is. And for some people, that that even alone sounds crazy, right? right. No, your religion should be private. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Well, religion is personal, deeply personal, but it shouldn't be private. Like what we believe, what we think, we've had, if we really believe we've had an encounter with the living God, why in the world would we keep that to ourselves? Well, I, I've always... I think I've always looked at it as I'm going to be a different person than I was otherwise believing in God versus not believing in God. Right. And so even if I didn't say anything, just the the foundation or the belief system that I hold to will speak for itself yeah. in my actions and and everything else. And so that's... When you're saying the culture shifted the church culture, which then pushes the outside church culture further, which comes into the that's right. That's how I see it happening. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think if we so, for example, if we really believe we've had an encounter with the living God that's actually transforming us, mm-hmm. not just in my not just in my beliefs, but also in my attitudes and in my behavior, mm-hmm. right? Like, so... In the way I do everything. Correct. Like, I should automatically have more kindness. Yeah. I should automatically just have that. Yeah. And, or at least know that I should be kind. And when I'm not kind, ask for forgiveness to the individuals no, that I'm, I'm not... being not kind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you ask for forgiveness to the individual you're not kind with, right? And so I think that there's those kind of marks mm-hmm. that should be ever present. And I think what happens is when we, over the course of time, when we've brought people, here's the reality, Nate, I don't know if when most people walk into a church, if they even know that God's there. Okay. Right. Whether that be, they just sit as another place, another building. Right. Uh, I think you go into some places and you're probably not sure if there's any difference between that church experience and entertainment somewhere else, right? Like, like I've heard it said that, like, is there really any difference between church and the modern church and a a Coldplay concert with a TED Talk at the end? (laughs) And I think that's unfortunately what we've gotten to. If So if I've just listened to some good music and I've heard an inspirational talk, is that really going to change me yeah. from the inside out? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. 
I can say I enjoyed the talk, and I say I can say I enjoyed the music, but that's pretty much where it stops. What, doesn't matter what you think about Coldplay; it's going to be better music. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. So, yeah, and so I think that sorry to all the people that are listening that play music. Right. <laughs> Facts, and so. <laughs> You know, I think that I think that the reality is is that, and we can talk about these things. But I just, when you ask the the fundamental question, right? Why are we in the decline that we're in, and whose fault is it? And I say this: the church's fault. I really just, when I get back to that, I just wanted to say we have not defined who we are well, and we have not been, in terms of being faithful to Scripture. And we have not allowed people to know that there's something that they actually should be doing in light of that. And that is sharing with people the fact that they have come to know the Lord. So you're in saying that you're talking to the people still in the church. Sure. The people who who should be sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I mean, in other words, I don't know if we've really changed that much. What I'm getting to. Okay. I don't know if I don't know if there's been an a, a, an intentional push. So I don't know if there's been any intentionality to uh, across the board. Obviously, there are in some mm, pockets, yeah. right, in some churches, but across the board, is there really any intentionality to saying the the job is not to just get people here to fill this church, right? Like the church is more, I phrase it this way, the church is more than assets, Mm. than buildings, than cash Mm -hmm. on hand, right? It's more than that. We don't need people just for those things. We want to be able to invite people in to have an encounter with the living God through song, through word, through communion, what we call sacraments, right? Mm. There should be a, an encountering of the Lord, and that that then provokes them, compels them to go and tell others about it, right? When I first came to know Christ when I was 17 years old, no one had to go tell me, go tell others about this. It changed my life. Mm. And that's why you're doing this now. <laughs> right. So now I've got a podcast. <laughs> I've got you know, a podcast. <laughs> Twenty-five years later, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and so, but yeah, I mean, like, it, no one had to go tell me, Joe, tell your friends about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying I did it right, <laughs> right? And so, you know, going up to people and saying you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus, right? That's not the right way of doing it, but. You, you can only be drunk when you do it. That's what you learned? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I learned, right? To share the gospel really effectively. I want to go tell that guy about Jesus. <laughs> Hang a, on, gulp, gulp, gulp. <laughs> what I learned is God can speak through anyone. So, you know. Um, and, but, you know, I wanted to tell people about what had just happened to me. Because mm. it did. It changed my life. And... And so I guess I hope, or I guess, and I hope that I that others would have that same type of experience. Not that it had to be exactly like mine, right? Mm. But that you know God's real. You know He's alive. You know He's doing something in your life. And so you want to just by default tell others about that. 
not to get them into a building, not to get them into a group, but to point them, lead them to an encounter with the living God. So at the time period where you think the decline started happening, yeah, what was the – is it – I mean, do you know what the actual change was? Like what led people to be doing church this way or was that gradual or what happened? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a gradual, right? I think the church has been in kind of reactive mode. Okay. And, and in to tr- culture, to culture, instead of running culture, yeah, okay, and and so we've been reacting to what's there. Okay, so for example, when modernism was at its peak, okay, and so and by modernism, I, I mean by that a secularism that is very much driven by science, by fact, by logic. Okay, okay. That and I say by fact, I'm kind of using that in quotes, but what can be observed, mm-hmm. okay? And it gave a rise to a sense of of atheism, and it gave a rise to a sense of science and Christianity do not coexist. And I think that's a very unfortunate turn. Um, I think it's a very untrue turn that I do think science and Christianity, that logic and Christianity can coexist. Mm-hmm. and But that's where then there became this push. Well, according to Christianity, they have to coexist because yeah. it's in the same God made all of it. I guess, right, 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 sure. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of science, right, is that I can look and see everything that God made, right? right? And that and, uh, I can be logical, right? And I don't believe that... Um, that there's a that I can have faith with reason, you know. Mm-hmm. I can be a reasonable individual. That I can think through, you know, syllogisms and you know, and actually go. Yes, there's a logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I don't think there's a logical reasoning for everything. I can't explain everything through logic, right? Right. But there is a logical approach that can be had. That's not contradictory to, to Christianity. And so... Well, that's where the ghosts come in. <laughs> right. And it gets crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and so... But I do think that we've been reactionary. The church has been reactionary. And so by that, I mean, so, so when modernism was, was, was being elevated and there was a sense of, okay, we need to respond to this. And so the, re- the response was, l- let's make sure that we are really sound in all of our fundamental doctrines and beliefs. And it's almost like we ran experience out of the building. And, and what so... You, wait, what, what do you mean? Yeah. So in other words, there became less and less of an experiential nature of Christianity, like experiencing God, experiencing God. So everyone went on the, all the churches went on the defense of countering facts and logic with, with more its own facts, facts and, and logic, logic, and stopped being an experience for people. Yeah, From, or or that's the wrong way to phrase it. I guess they yeah. stopped focusing on 
connecting people to God. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and so and, I'm, and, and so so to kind of give context, I'm talking about like early to mid 1900s at this point. Okay. Okay. And so so we're responding to it this way. Okay. As postmodernism begins to grow in our culture, as a sense of there isn't just one God, there's many gods. And as postmodernism begins to really kind of ramp up, and and so now pluralism is an accepted form, right? Then I think that our we swing we, the, the 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 pendulum swung the other way. Okay, so okay, all right. Well, we, now we have to be relative, quote unquote, to culture, and so now we have to give people an experience. Okay, okay. so as if. If modernism was its worldview was rooted in reason, right, and logic, then postmodernism's worldview is rooted in experience and feeling. Okay. And I believe the church goes, okay, so now we've got to make sure that we give some type of experience and feeling, right? And you and so you see that in the development of churches that we want to make sure we give people some type of an experience or feeling, usually through the way that we go about singing songs, okay? But even in the even in the nature of the preaching, it's become, you know, more charismatic speakers, you know, mm. really well-crafted sermons um, that do tend to lend themselves to uh, an experience of I'm inspired, right? And and so, oh, okay, like big, long, flashy pep talks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or <laughs> or hype rallies. Right, right. <laughs> and and so and 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 so now we feel like we're being relative, you know, or, or we're to the culture. Okay. okay. And I think instead of being reactionary, one way or the other, right? I think the church just needs to be the church, and the church needs to be a place where people can have an experience with God, can think through things reasonably, and 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 I don't think we have to give ourselves over to just always trying to be relative, quote-unquote, to the culture. I don't think people want that from the church. Should the, should the church be doing both? I think we can be relative in some means, right? But I don't think it should be like the overarching emphasis. Okay. Of we're going to reach a quote unquote target audience through right. these means. Okay. So, of course, we're always going to be a sense of relative because styles and communication change, styles mm-hmm. and, um, music change and so the church will more than likely always follow those trends to some degree but i i don't think though i guess getting back to all of it though i i just feel like when we started def- when we, when the church started in the early 1900s really defending itself let's get our doctrine right let's get our thoughts right let's make sure we can argue our points right mm-hmm. and it became very focused within and i don't know if we've ever gotten out of that uh, I okay, I see what you're saying. So uh, and, the church decided to start looking at itself too much and not like as a building as yes. an institution of people that were already there and instead or that's what they were doing and they were not 
going out and getting new people. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and the reason I can say that, like, Jesus in Matthew 28 just says, Go therefore and make disciples. Okay. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that which I have commanded you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a pretty simple statement. And I think the church has lost her perspective on that that's actually what we're supposed to be doing. And we have filled that with a lot of other things. And whether those are courses or whether that's um, programs Mm. or events, conferences. And I'm not necessarily saying that these things are wrong. I'm just saying that they never should have become the main focus. Okay. And so I'm not sitting here saying we can't have relative music, right? Right. I'm not saying we cannot have well-crafted sermons that communicate a thought well, okay? I'm not saying that the church just has to go back to, all right, well, how did the church do things in the early church? Let's completely mimic that, right? I'm not saying it has to look the exact same way. What I am saying is that, we started elevating some of those things above the primary mission of the church. And so instead of wanting to reach out and share our faith and share our experiences with God and share what the Lord has done in our lives and then allow people to engage in that conversation with us, right? And then begin to help them to... so. You know, so when it says go, therefore, and make disciples, okay? So it's really like make disciples, all right? So if you were to, to arrange the language well, make disciples. This is how you do that. You go. You baptize. You teach. And I think that's the, the whole point. Like, we've lost the very first point of going. And okay. so we're not like, how many churches do we go to where they've not had baptisms in a, in 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 a long time, and and I mean of new believers, and not mm-hmm. just kids that grew up in the church, um, but new believers. Um, it's unfortunately, I think it's pretty rare um, mm-hmm. in a lot of churches, and I think it goes back to we just we're trying to survive. The church is trying to survive number wise, and the church is trying to survive in its in in what it wants to do, but it's not. It's just not doing the things we're supposed to do, called to do. In other words, when I say trying to survive, what I mean is like, all right, I'm going to, we're going to keep the ones we have, right? Okay. It's got to be more than just keeping the ones we have. Right. It's got to be reaching out beyond that. And I feel like that's what we've just stopped doing. Well, just tell them to have kids. (laughs) Duh. Duh. Isn't that what all the churches do nowadays? If you don't have four, don't enter the door. That sounds like an actual phrase you've said before. (laughs) Amazingly, I just thought of it. So, um, but I think that's you know, and I know that's come a long-winded answer. But when we go to the when we go to the what's going on and why is it going on? It's the why is I think. It's complicated when you talk when you start analyzing all of what's going on in culture and those mm. kind of things. But I think it's pretty simple mm. in the sense of we just stopped 
as what we would say in the church world, we stopped making disciples. In other words, we have stopped sharing our faith, allowing new believers to come and be part of the church family, and then actually helping them to learn how to read the Bible well and to know what they believe and to be able to see the world from a biblical worldview. So if I was... When you say culture, are you saying that there's like there's always been a culture outside of the church and that it it was up to the church to go out and bring people of who believed in that culture or were in the culture and tell them about Christ and the second that the church went on the the defensive and started reacting, I guess, to to the culture instead of going, yeah, okay, culture, <laughs> we got this, okay. <laughs> like instead of instead yeah. of doing that, that's 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 where. Yeah, I mean, look at look yeah. at look at the. I mean, if, if you were to go and look at the Roman, the you know, culture mm-hmm. that the church was actually birthed in. It was a completely pluralistic culture mm. and and hedonistic in a lot of ways. And so, in other words, what I'm saying is the church was birthed in a culture that wasn't friendly to her. Okay. And the church didn't go on the defensive then with the few, you know, with the few hundred believers initially and the few thousand then, you know, like, all right, we're going to defend ourselves from this culture. Yeah. No. She just went out and began, you know, the end of early church just went out and shared. So the church is a woman? <laughs> is that what you just said? That's, That's what I heard you. I'm not editing yeah. that out. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> no, yeah. Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, here's why, here's why I'm going to refer to the church as she. Okay. And it's actually scriptural. Okay. Okay. And so in Ephesians chapter five, the church is referred to the as the bride of Christ. Okay. So that's why historically the church has been referred to as she. Okay. Okay. It's so. okay, boats or she's <laughs> right. Cars and whatever. Right. It's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So but to give <laughs> biblical context. Okay. okay. And so you know, so the church was birthed in a culture that was not in favor of her. And that thought the thought the church was pretty strange and pretty weird. Um, how in the world would you just have one God, and there was only that one God? You know, that was very strange to that culture. And and yet the church loved the the church was kind. The church was gentle, and the church was you know full of joy and life, even in the midst of a culture that was very much um, quote unquote anti. The church, you know, anti Christianity, and I feel like we in America probably have not responded well to a culture that seems to be um, shifting on us continually in a in an antagonistic way or toward an antagonistic way, Mm -hmm. because America was founded. And I'm going to use the phrase again, Judeo-Christian, on a Judeo-Christian worldview. And I don't mean that everyone was a Jew or a Christian. What I just mean, but that was the worldview. Mm-hmm. And so when you even read documents from founding fathers, there was a sense of a worldview. 
you know, again, I'm not saying they were all Christians. What I'm saying is there was a worldview that was mm. at play. And so America's really, America did not know something different than that. That was the worldview. And then as that began to shift, I think that's when the church went on the defensive. Okay. And it, cause it, it felt threatened in America for the first time. And, and instead of going on what, you know, we, we can call it the offensive, but I would just call it just, instead of just being who she was called to be, instead of just going and continuing to share our faith, mm. we, we became very defensive and almost like, you know, um, kind of huddled together, you know, and th- I think that's where we began to lose. And so it was a, so through the 1900s, it was a very slow, de- like moving decline. Mm. And then you hit 2000 and it's like a runaway train with how fast it's going down. And I think that's especially true for your Gen X or excuse me, for your Gen Y. No, not even Gen, Gen Y, Z. Gen Z. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, there's so many Gens. Gen Z, for those that were born, you know, if you basically Gen Z are, are those that cannot remember 9 11. Okay? okay. That's a good marking point. If you cannot remember 9 11 going forward, you're part of Gen Z. And. Gen, and, and, we, and we would probably say the same thing. The next generation is probably marked by those that don't remember the COVID pandemic. Okay. And that's probably going to be the marker. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, but especially for Gen Z, who is fully postmodern. In other words, they're what you would probably call the, the first fully postmodern generation where being connected um, globally Believing in a global, you know, marketplace. Believing in a, um, or ex- not, or not just believing, but experiencing a mm. global marketplace. Experiencing, um, uh, a you know, a pluralistic society as normal, right? As okay. norm, okay. And and so that generation in particular, along with the generation, really their 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 parents, especially in millennials the older millennials, they, they don't hold to a, a biblical, you know, or a Judeo-Christian worldview. And so it's just been, you see this massive rapid decline because basically you've got parents with their kids who, you know, a lot of people in America went to church. They have some experience of going to church growing up. I mean, even I, who didn't go on a regular basis, still went, you know, mm. occasionally. And that was true for a lot of individuals in America. And that's not the case anymore. Mm. There's a lot of individuals growing up, even in the quote-unquote Bible Belt, that don't grow up going to church. And so the, 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 whole, the whole landscape has changed in our country. And, and so you see this massively rapid decline. And I think the church is still trying— <laughs> Still trying. It's 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 maybe new new models, but in a lot of ways, it's old principles shaping those models. Of we've got to find a way to get them in our doors, instead of let's go to let's go to the individuals that have never heard, or let's go to those that were you know if we talk about the skeptics and the, those that are disillusioned, let's go to them and let's talk, let's have conversations. Mm. Like, you know, those who are actually seeking. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know what church is about. Can I actually go to a church and start finding out what church is about? Mm-hmm. You know, and 
And so we're, we're not doing a good job as a church of going out and reaching people where they are and without having to have some kind of force fed or, you know, pre-programmed or pre-written script of what we're supposed to say, just engage with life with individuals, have, you know, have coffee, have, have a meal, just talk together when you're at work or, you know, whatever it may be and invite them in, not to a church, but share with them about an, an experience of, you know, that you've had with the living God. And to me, if the church was still doing that, we wouldn't have seen this massively rapid decline. So my, my personal opinion. So how does the church address that to its members? Well, first off, I, there's like the 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 leadership in church is at such a place that they're still trying to do these things, I guess. So what yeah. what does what shift does leadership need to take and then what what do church members do? Yeah. That's a good, that's a good question. Uh, church leaders are very aware of the decline in Christianity. And that's nothing new. I mean, you can whether you're looking at stats from Pew Research or from Barna or whoever, it's it's very evident that Christianity is in decline. So church leaders are not in denial over that. Um, I think a lot of churches believe if, and church leaders believe, if I just keep teaching the Bible well, or if I create an environment where people feel welcomed at church, that those will be the answers. But what my, my issue with that is we're still looking inward. And so, oh, okay. in other words, we're still saying, how do we make this experience on a Sunday morning optimal? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we make it attractive? How do we make it engaging? And I think if Sunday morning continues to be the, the, the pastor or the preacher's biggest day, they view that as the biggest moment of their week. Okay. I, th- I think that will, unfortunately, that pattern will continue. Okay. I think we have to, as pastors, say that is an important moment, but it's not the most significant moment of our week. Um, the most significant moments of our week, hopefully, are when we as pastors model what it looks like to share our faith with individuals in our community. Um, I think I have been guilty of this. So like I'm, I'm talking from a place of, of a lot of self-reflection over the last man, six months to a couple years, probably. I don't, I mean, it's just, it feels like it's getting more intense. So that's why I say six months. The last six months has been really intense of a lot of self-reflecting of a lot of what, what do I need to do? To change because I can't expect the members in our church to automatically just go change if they don't see me changing. Mm-hmm. You know, like if they don't see me setting an example of discipling individuals, if they don't see me setting an example of sharing my faith, you know. So if I'm having lunch with a church member and we're at a restaurant and the hostess, you know, comes up and she's, you know, taking our order and those kind of things and, you know, they bring you the food. And it's a small example, but 
the hostess actually seats you. It's the waitress. Oh, yeah. Thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. So, like, the waitress comes. She brings you the food. And so the waitress brings you the food. And you immediately, say, you know, say thank you. We're about to say, uh, we're about to bless the food. We're about to say a prayer to bless our food. Is there anything we can pray for you for? You know, and I'm not saying every time we have to, you know, share the gospel with a waitress or something. But I, I have got to find a way to set an example for the people I'm with where they mm-hmm. can see I'm actually intentionally trying to reach out to people, that people matter, their stories matter, that what they're going through in life right now matters, right? Um, one waitress may be completely annoyed that I asked her that question. Mm-hmm. One may break down in tears because there's so much going on in her life. And I don't know what reaction I'm going to get. And to me, it's not a, I mean, it's, it's not about what reaction will I get. It's about just me being faithful to share with people and whether that's in a restaurant or whether that's in the grocery store or whether that's, you know, me having coffee with someone and talking with someone in a coffee mm-hmm. shop, whatever. And so I just think that I have to set an example for that too. And so I think in other words, what I'm saying is if we keep putting all our energy and our time into making sure Sunday morning is really good, we'll, we'll miss, we'll, we, we will miss out on, I think, the most significant moments of our week, mm-hmm. which should be outside of that context. Um, again, I think Sunday morning is incredibly important for the church family to all come together and to worship God together and to hear the words of Scripture together. I think all of that is incredibly important. So I'm not minimizing that at all. I'm just saying that can't be where all of our time is put. And we also have to see it as that as part of the regular rhythms of our life, but there is something that is even more significant than that for me. Mm-hmm. And that's going out and sharing my faith and making disciples. And um, and so, so then I can go stand up in front of our congregation and say, this is what I'm imploring you to do. I'm imploring you to do this. And I'm going to teach you how to do it. And I think sometimes because we want to sound so... Um, smooth and our talking and that kind of stuff. Exalted. Yes, right. And uh, we don't just talk about, here's how to do these things. Mm-hmm. Real practical things. Here's how to share your faith. Here's how to go make disciples. Here's how to read the Bible. Like, we don't even address some of those things uh, on Sunday morning sometimes, and um, or a lot of the times. And I just think that, so I think that as leaders, we have to realize that we have to set an example for the rest mm-hmm. of the church family of this is how we're asking you to go about your week. Mm-hmm. And then church members can then follow that as we've set a pattern for that. And we talk about it. And when it becomes part of just who we are, you know, and, um, you know, until that happens, I don't know if we're going to see much of a change. So I think I have one more question. Okay. Based on everything you said. Okay. People who want to go to church, what, what would I look for? In a pastor uh, or in a church, yeah, to know that I'm not going to end up with <laughs> some other, you know, it it being not like where if I wanted something real, yeah, and not just another place to go, what would I look for? Oh, How would I know? Yeah, what a great question. Because so a lot of there's so many things that are preferential, right? So when I go into a church. And there's so many things that are preference, the music, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Some people have a preference of, I'd rather hear an older pastor. Some people would say, I'd rather hear a younger pastor. Okay. So there's a lot of preference involved. Um, and, you know, some people will say, I, I really like, you know, the kind of sacramental liturgical feel of, of a church. Okay. And some people know, I don't want that. I want it to be more casual, you know, I'm gonna wear jeans and, or shorts and, you know, and we're not going to have all the liturgical elements as part of the church service. And so I, I think a lot of that's preferential. Okay. So I want to say that from the point one, I think that's preferential. I think what I would hope is that you could find a church that says we're going, that we love coming together to worship God, that we want his presence to be there among us in song and in the reading of scripture and in taking communion and in the sacrament, in the sac- well, I say sacraments, taking communion, baptism, and that I would hope that they would be intentional about we want to encounter the God, the presence, the presence of God, that God's real. Mm-hmm. We want to encounter Him today. Okay, again through worship and song and through worship in the Word, we want to encounter Him today. And that, and that the pastor hopefully would be preaching from Scripture, from the Bible, and not just um, you know uh, a sleek looking PowerPoint presentation. You know, I'm not knocking. PowerPoint presentations, I use mm-hmm. them a good bit, but the, the content mm-hmm. would be rooted in scripture, right? And not just a um, self-help talk, okay? okay? And and so those are elements you're looking for when you come into the church, okay? But then I would hope there would also be an emphasis from that church on we're going to be caring for those that are in need in our community. Now, there's not one church that can do every single thing, right? Mm-hmm. But then they have an element that they are tangibly caring for the people in their larger community, okay? Mm-hmm. And because then that means they're not just focused on self. They're focused on others as well. And and then I would also hope that they would have a, a tangible sense of an emphasis of what it looks like to be disciples who make disciples. In other words, to be followers of Christ who are seeking to share their faith to see others become followers of Christ. And that is something that is talked about. That is something that's in the DNA of that church. And so when, because if it's not, if there's not a sense of we do things in our community, if there's not a sense of of go and share your faith, go and 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 that there's actually tangible times of hearing the gospel and in, in other words, mm-hmm. learning how to say it, okay, to other people. If everything is just focused on that inward, you know, on that one hour or that one and a half hours or two hours, whatever it is, on a Sunday morning, if everything's just focused inward, and that's all that it is. That's all church is, quote unquote. That's to me. That's a church. And they may be doing some good things for the people in the building, but that's a church that's not focused on the mm. on what I would call the mission of God. Eventually, all the kids leave and everyone else dies, and then there's no church. Yeah, yep. And and I will say this: just because the church is just because the church is big, doesn't mean it's doing everything well. Just because the church is small doesn't mean it's doing anything bad. You know, so it's gotta be more than just the size 
of a church. Mm. You you want to get a feel, a flavor of what's going on in that church. What do they value? Yeah. So I guess what I'm I guess maybe that that's probably a better word. What do they value? When I go to a church, what I want to know what do they value? Do they value the presence of God? Do they value scripture? Do they value making disciples? Do they value sharing their faith? Do they value reaching out to help meet needs in the community? Do they value these things? Are these values for the church? That's what I would look for. Cool. That's yeah. all I got. Cool. <laughs> I just gave you a lot of long-winded answers. Yes, so. you did. Uh, no, I think that's uh, that's probably the point. That's why we're on a podcast with unlimited time. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. Um, I put down in the notes, segue into the end. So segue into the end. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Joseph, thank you for actually listening to me because – even if nothing else happens with this, I get to come talk to you and I enjoy it. So well, that, was, um, that goes both ways. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Um, we are <laughs> we are working on social media right now. We don't have that ready. It'll probably be ready by the time this is up because there wouldn't be any point in putting it up if it wasn't ready. Facts. Sort of. And um, working on getting everything else. So we're going to be doing that. And um, hopefully we have a play. We, we will. We will have a place where people can interact with us and tell us why we're wrong. Right. Why Joseph is all the way wrong. Uh, I, everything I, I ask him. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to be wrong much more than yeah, I'm right, right. So that's okay. That's okay. Canceled. That's right. So um, My mom will like it. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I am Nate Robinsoff, and, and I'm Joseph Tillman, and uh, that was the When I Heard This Podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.